and welcome to the first episode of The Next Session. This is a podcast dedicated to giving role-playing game advice to, uh, well, new and experienced game masters, hopefully all over the world. Anybody who is stuck in their story, anybody whose plots have gone haywire, if your players have thrown you a curveball and you're like, where the heck do I go with this? This, this is the podcast for you. We're here to offer you that, that advice, help you get on the next step. Um, and help you plan for your next session. Um, so without further ado, I guess we'll jump right into it. Well, who are you? Well, I'm Adam Johns. Um, I'm an experienced game master. I've been playing role-playing games for 25 years now. Um, but what I'm most well-known for is that I'm the executive director of a nonprofit called game to grow And it is a nonprofit that's dedicated to using games of all kinds for therapeutic educational community growth. And really, game to grow is uh, most well-known for its, its ability to use role-playing games for therapeutic growth for kids and teens, especially on the spectrum, uh, really building around social skill development. And I'm Alyssa Johns, and I'm your wife. (laughs) No, 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 no. Well, I am your wife, but um, I am also a uh, master electrician um, for theater. I've been working in theater for many, many years. I know my way around a good story, and and I've also been playing um, role-playing games on the side, not professionally, but fun um a little known fact that a lot of the public shows that i do uh, Alyssa helps me plan for and as we've been spending a lot of time doing that planning we realized that might be actually really helpful advice for a lot of other game masters out there so that's why we started this podcast well also because we've reached the uh, stage in quarantine where we think we can start a podcast yeah for anybody listening to this well into the future this is uh the late stages of uh, well, hopefully late God, stages I hope so. of uh, COVID-19 quarantine. So we're happy to welcome you to our quarantine zone. <laughs> welcome to our quarantine zone. Um, so yeah, let's let's get started. Um, we have a, a segment called Next Session Help. This is where you can write in your questions for us and we will discuss and try to answer as best we can. Um, but until we actually have people asking us direct questions, we're pilfering questions from Reddit. That's fun. Yeah. Or all over the internet, really. Um, So please, please write your questions to us. We would be very happy to answer them. But in the meantime, I think we have a a question from the internet. Yeah. So this question comes from user Special Agent Steve. Uh, (laughs) Five out of six players are werewolves, and they don't know it yet. The full moon is in two days. I need some good ideas for a session. So I really like this question because, one, we, we actually ran a plot line very similar to this in one of our Game to Grow groups, um, but also because w- what is the circumstances in which five of six players are werewolves and, and they don't know it yet? Well, don't worry, because Special Agent Steve goes on. Oh. Um, I guess I should be more specific, he says. Out of the crew of seven, one non-player character and six player characters, Five players and the NPC are werewolves. They know that the NPC is a werewolf, but he's a friend. They've been trying to take precautions necessary to keep him with them. And about five sessions ago, uh, some hints were dropped that made two of the players suspect that they might be werewolves. Um, They will probably set sail soon for a new island. I'd rather not have them change on the boat. The full moon is exactly a day and a half away. I'm open to ideas to clear things up. The players rescued this NPC from being stranded on an island. This island has a mysterious stone altar, and this specific altar is related to a god-demon directly linked to lycanthropy. After seeing the altar absorbs some liquids, uh, the players 
bled themselves on the altar, all except one. In this world, it can spread from one to the other, but this is its source. They were all essentially alpha werewolves given power directly from a god, demon, whatever. Can I just say that the moment in the game where all of them spilled some liquid on the altar and saw, oh, it's totally absorbing this liquid. What should we do? Yeah, let's bleed on it. Let's let's go ahead and all bleed on this altar. And then there was one person who said, I think this is maybe a bad idea. Maybe they Maybe they spit on it. But it wasn't working. Oh, that's that was like, their solution. They were like, "I'm not oh, gonna man. bleed on this." I'm, I don't, I don't like needles. I'm just yeah. gonna, I'm just gonna spit. I want to join the blood pact. I like that you imagine that everybody like very safely brought out some sterilized hyperdermic needles in order to bleed on this Ugh. on this altar. That's oh. disgusting. So okay, so first of all, special agent Steve, five out of six of your players don't know they're werewolves, which to me says that you're going to turn them into werewolves without them knowing, um, which doesn't sound like a good idea. Oh, no, that sounds great to me. Really? Oh, yeah. One of the the things that a lot of um, new game masters sort of make the mistake of is not uh, pushing consequences on your players. Um, and this is a perfect consequence. Your players made a bold decision to bleed on an altar that they found in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it's a perfect opportunity to provide a, a consequence to that action that pushes them down an interesting story path. But doesn't that take away their agency as players if, if suddenly you're going to control them as a werewolf? Or... Ah, that is the important part and the important distinction that you need to make here. I wouldn't allow... I would take away the control of the players when they are in werewolf form, but I would also make it really clear that those are moments that we're going to kind of barrel past. Uh, They're cutscene moments more than they are moments where the players have to keep sort of responding to what's going on. Okay, so these are cutscene moments. How how would you handle their change? So we had a similar campaign where, uh, not quite the same, uh, but we did have a group of players that all turned into werewolves. And it was the result of an experiment that was being performed where the players got sort of wrapped up in the middle of the experiment. And they thought that part of the experiment was they were trying to find people who are immune to lycanthropy. And the players immediately thought that they were some of the people who were going to be immune to lycanthropy. They escaped from the experiment. Um, but then what happened was it turned out they weren't. Um, so they, they weren't the special people who were immune. This is very telling for the times right now, I'm just saying. It totally is. Although this all happened long. This was uh, several years ago. So this yeah. all happened long before COVID. Um, and the the way that we did it was basically that they all went to bed and then they all woke up in a brand new place um, with all their clothes covered in blood, and uh, they had no memory of what had happened the previous So you night. pulled a hangover. Yeah. Um, and then they had to put together the pieces, and they figured it out pretty quick. I mean, they knew that, that lycanthropy was a thing that they were dealing with, and they figured out what was going on, but now they had to deal with the sort of, what do we do next? And they knew maybe they had done some really terrible things, uh, and they had no idea what those terrible things were, or how they were going to stop themselves from doing that the next time around. Mm. And that led to a really interesting plot line because now you have theoretically, um, you know, a month or several weeks before the next full moon. What are you going to do? And that leads to a very interesting sort of ticking time bomb of a, of a clock. And you can set this up where you can really use the loved ones, the, the, um, what we often call the, the knives that the players have handed to you oh, right, uh, right. that you can use to sort of stab them in the back. Um, so the, the people that the players really care about. 
And the really interesting twist here is that one of the players is not a lycanthrope. Right. In Special Agent Steve's campaign here. So how the so the really interesting question is if this was all the players I would do it exactly like that. Right. They all black out. That they all go to sleep. Then they wake up, and some terrible things have happened. And I would make a really clear list in your mind of what your players are are ready to have in the way of gore and violence and etc. You know, you oh, want to yeah. speak to the player base that you're working with. Um, but uh, you can play that in a lot of different ways, uh, and you can play that in a lot of um, really fun ways, uh, even with players that are not ready to have, you know, a, a substantial level of gore in their game. Okay, so here's what I think I would do. Um, have the players make new characters. Next session, you're going to make new characters. We're going to try something new. We're going to do a one shot. I'm not ready to, to move on with the werewolf scene. We're going to do a, a one shot. Have the players make new characters. And then they're going to all come into this town and this town was attacked by monsters and they have to go hunt the monsters in the town and they are hired by the one and one player character who was not a werewolf to go help find his friends who are missing and suddenly these new characters are are on the other side of things trying to figure out the mystery for them it's not the werewolves the werewolves woke up somewhere else or maybe they got killed or who knows but now they still they have new characters that it's kind of a weird funky thing but they get the other side of it Hmm. it would be kind of cool as like a side quest especially if you made it clear to the players like you'll get your characters back um you can kind of reassure them if you really like this character you really love this campaign don't worry this is all going to tie together but you're going to make these side characters that are going to play a kind of a more significant role here right or you pull aside the one player character who is not going to be a werewolf and ask them if they're willing to sacrifice their character on the side because that would lead to more consequences. That would be a bigger deal if, oh my God, you had to roll a new character. What happened? I think the way I would actually do it with the one player who's not a werewolf is I would have them wake up after everybody else had transformed. And then they basically, like everyone else is gone, and you go through a scene with just them um, figuring out that everybody else is a werewolf. Mm. And then and then I would sort of cut to the end of the night. Um, and now you are you are there with, with all your friends. And maybe you stopped them from killing a bunch of people. Maybe all they did was howl at the moon. But now you're the only one that's not a werewolf. And maybe you even have to convince them that they are all werewolves. Do you think he put a tiny hut over himself to keep himself from... Like a Leoman's yeah. tiny hut? like... Oh. Being attacked by the werewolves. Oh my god, everyone's a, clever, a werewolf. <laughs> a clever way to do it, right? Or just climb a tree, maybe. <laughs> Can werewolves climb trees? I have to assume werewolves could climb trees. I mean, yeah. I, I It's hard to imagine that you're like, oh no, I'm being pursued by a bunch of werewolves. Let me just climb up in this tree and I'll just hang out up here. No, no big deal. I mean, bears can climb trees. I guess wolves can't really climb trees. If... If you're going with werewolf from the Harry Potter movies, like the third Harry Potter movie, oh sure, um, he has longer arms. I would think that that kind of werewolf could climb a tree. I always like lycanthropes more as like a half half wolf, half person kind of kind of thing. There's actually a, a categorization for that in in Dungeons and Dragons. It's a type of lycanthropy. But if they're half werewolf, half person, wouldn't that give them half of their mind to deal with? 
I mean, wouldn't not, they be able to like kind of understand? Oh, half of me turned into a werewolf. Well, in a lot of werewolf tales, the wolf is more than just a wolf. Like they didn't just turn into a wolf and they go off and do wolf things, which would actually be a pretty hilarious werewolf tale where they like go into the forest and they sniff around and pee on a tree and have a great time hanging out in the forest and run running with a pack of wolves. Um, I want to write that story. But no, uh, most of the time they are like vicious and almost rabid. Uh, and so it sort of drives them to to murder and to kill and to continue to spread the lycanthropy. Um, right. Although in this campaign, it sounds like these altars are what spread the lycanthropy. Because um, of this god, demon, whatever. Yeah. So a lot of werewolf tales center on the idea of an alpha werewolf. And the alpha werewolf was the original one that was cursed um, oftentimes or was given the werewolf curse by like a demon or a god of some kind. Um, and then that one goes and infects other ones. Um, and, and in some werewolf tales, you have to kill the alpha to remove the infection from, from other people. Like Futurama with the wear car. Exactly. <laughs> The, the classic reference for all werewolf tales yeah. well, is the werewolf I mean, car from Futurama. Well, that happens a thousand years in the future, so. Oh, sure. It can't be referenced. It's not easily. classic. It's new age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Everything Futurama is new age by definition of it being a thousand years in the future. <laughs> I, I, that, I, one can only assume. Uh, either way, I think my advice to... Um, uh, to this game master, special agent Steve. Special agent Steve, thank you. Um, is that this is a great opportunity for some really great uh, role play, some really great adventure for all of your characters. And uh, they're on a ship now. I would just push them into port. I would, I would, you know. They're not on the ship yet. Although I think that there is some opportunity here for the change to happen on the ship. Wouldn't that be a crazy thing where the one player character is like? trapped himself in the in the ship's quarters with the captain and all the rest of the crew are like being ravaged great or if they're the only six people on the ship and then all of a sudden uh like everybody else turns into werewolves and it's that one player character running for their life on the ship and just trying to survive until morning yeah yeah i think that could be like a really cool role play moment um and maybe in that case you do give control of all, all the players um sometimes the trick to that is just to say you have control over your character but the limitations are you have to act in character for the things that are going on. Would you write them up a werewolf character sheet? I might write them up a werewolf stat block. Yeah, or like here's here's some attacks you can do. Here's some, here's yeah, here's your power. Right, um, and then I might make it really clear and give some clear advantages to the player who's awake. Um, like they, they get surprised while everybody else is transforming and they get some opportunity to barricade themselves or things like that. Well, clearly he, this person would barricade themselves anyway, because there's one non-player character that they already know is a werewolf. Mm -hmm. So they're already taking some precautions. What's interesting here is if all of the MP, all of the player characters that they don't know are werewolves yet are barricading with this other guy. Oh, yeah. From that other character. So suddenly they're all going to be, like, trapped. So I'm picturing the NPC, like, tied up in a chair, and everybody else is keeping watch on them during the full moon, and then the NPC starts to turn, and then everybody else starts to turn Except at the same the time. Except for the one guy. Except for the one guy. Um, what one do you gal, do now? really. Sure, the yeah. one person. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that would be a really interesting. I might I might just play that all out as as it stands. Although one of the things that could be really useful here is to let all the players know where the end of the whole scene happens. Okay. Um, this is a trick that's surprisingly underused by a lot of game masters. Remember that this is a storytelling game, and although there's dice rolls and although there's randomness built into the game, you can also sort of determine where the end result is of the scenes that you're playing out. So you can say, look, we all know you're going to beat the big bad guy here. Like, that's going to happen. Otherwise, this would be not a very interesting story. Um, But you're also all going to get really beat up in the process. So let's play this out and let give the players back some agency in the storytelling process knowing that they also know where the story is going to the direction the story is going to go where the story is going to wind up Um, that can do a lot for setting up really cool scenes and sometimes will help some of your players try not to win so hard at the game uh try not to uh, break the game in a way where they they are um trying to use the mechanics to to get the biggest advantage because all of a sudden they now know where the scene is going to end and their advantage doesn't mean anything what means the most is making an interesting scene Hmm. i like that you'd be surprised what you can live through (laughs) sure it could be an interesting way to do it you could even play out that whole scene without hit points which I, i think would also be really interesting um so anytime the werewolves go after the the player um, you're not really reducing hit points. The werewolves aren't really doing hit point damage. Instead, they're they're you know uh, getting closer and closer to getting a, a slice or a gash or something that might turn them into a um, a werewolf. Are werewolves killable? Um, in Dungeons and Dragons, yes. Okay, so if you if you killed a werewolf in Dungeons and Dragons and didn't get sliced or bit in the process you wouldn't become a werewolf and you would stop that werewolf. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right, cuz I could see if you're if you're doing a fight without hit points, you know, you could be like, well, the werewolves are they're indestructible, you just have to survive. Mm-hmm. But if if you are able to kill them except they're your best friends, so you wouldn't want to do that. Never mind. That'd be bad. <laughs> Never mind. Kill each other. As it turns out, they might be your best friends. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty bad. All right. Um, well, I, I think that this was successfully answered. So what do you think about going to a break? Sure. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. And we're back. Um, if you're just joining us, I don't know why you would be. It's a podcast. Uh, but you are listening to the next session, and we are offering you some great and incredibly valuable Game Master advice, I would say. If you're Special Agent Steve. <laughs> special Agent Steve. Was that, was that his name? I totally forgot. Yes, it was. Track. It was Special Agent Steve. <laughs> um, all right. So we are coming up to our next segment. This is just called Ask a GM. So this is where, um, essentially, I ask a question to Adam, because he's the GM in my life. Oh, sure. Mostly. And uh, so I'm going to ask you a question um, that's more general and uh, then we can we can answer it together or you can answer it and I can I can go. Wow. Cool. <laughs> sure, All right. We'll probably answer it together. <laughs> All right. So here here's the question. What official D&D rule or advice do you completely ignore when running a campaign? 
And this question comes from Guamer or Guamir, G-U-A-M-I-R, Guamir. 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 What what official piece of advice do I completely ignore? Oh man, that's a really good question. From D and D specifically. From D and D specifically. Um, okay, so I'm going to preface this with the idea that um, most of the people who've designed Dungeons and Dragons have stated many times that the game itself is a storytelling game, and the game master should always ignore whatever rules they want. Play the game you want to play. So I'm going to list a couple of rules, but ultimately I think you, the, the king rule, the leader rule, of, the, of golden the, rule. the golden rule of the whole thing is play the game you want to play, um, which really supersedes any of the other rules. Um, that being said, there are a bunch of rules that I love to ignore. Um, there's a ton of rules about travel and, and like timeline with travel, um, and I tend not to really follow by a lot of those. Um, so I don't really ask how much distance we're going to cover in a day's worth of travel or how many rations you use or wa- how much water you use in a day's worth of travel. Um, mostly I find a lot of that stuff to be kind of uninteresting to tracking in the story unless it's playing a significant role. Um, something like uh, you're on a timeline and you have a crunch to to make it across a long distance. And then I would give a, a bunch of really specific rules and clar- clarify those rules for the players to say, you know, you're traveling each day, you've got this much resource. Then it becomes like a mini game. Um, but most of the time I, I ignore that kind of rule. I would say that I, when I am a game master, I ignore um, XP. I could care less about tracking XP. I don't even know half the time how many monsters I'm going to have in a fight or who did the final blow or who did, who did how much XP. It's just so tedious. And I, I, I don't do math. So I, I don't, so I don't do math. (laughs) I usually level players after a significant battle or a big campaign or when I really feel like they've deserved it. But yeah, XP right out the window for me. That's my personal. Most of the time, that's actually called milestone advancement. Um, And it's pretty common in in a lot of D and D games. A lot of people, um, some people really like the XP, and a lot a lot of people want to play Dungeons and Dragons more as a strategy game, um, where it really is like kill this monster, get this XP, you know, work towards leveling up. Um, but lots of game masters out there really want to do a milestone advancement where they're leveling up based on the story more than than based on the strategy of the game. Yeah, it, it's also easier for me if I know my players are level five. And then we're going to get through my whole campaign. And at the end, they'll be level six. And then we take turns. So then it's someone else's turn to DM. And I don't have to deal with level six players because I only know the level five characters and what they can do. Then I don't have to keep track. Interestingly, in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, um, it actually scales pretty well to one or two level differences between characters um, and fighting harder or easier monsters for the most part. The two parts that don't scale very well are hit points and and monster damage, um, where you're, as you fight harder monsters, they do too much damage to overcome the hit points of lower level characters, um, and so your low level characters are going to die really fast if they ever get targeted down. Um, but a lot of that can be overcome by a good game master who knows how to fudge dice when you need to, or maybe the monster didn't do so much damage against that particular player, uh, or uh, target the right kinds of players in the in the monster's strategy of attacking. 
Um, the only exception to that is level one characters. In fifth edition, for some reason, all the level one characters die almost instantly um, because all the monsters designed for level one characters all do, you know, 15 damage and nobody has 15 hit points at level one. You know, the most the most hit points anybody has is, well, maybe 15 if you're a barbarian. Right. Uh, that'd be basically the, the high end of, of hit points that anybody would have at level one. I could see I could see a barbarian being like, how come you all died? What's going on? <laughs> That's my favorite barbarian character. <laughs> um, I also ignore uh, weight. And, oh, like carrying weight? Yeah, like carrying weight. Like yeah. anything in your backpack. You have a backpack from Legend of Zelda. It holds everything. Hmm. You know, you've got five bows in there. All right. You have five bows in there. What are you going to do with all your five bows? Like, I, I don't care how much weight is in there. I do the same thing with ammunition. Um, I really don't care to make you track your ammunition. Yeah. Um, with the exception of special ammunition. If you got a super magical arrow of silence or something like that, yes, I will make you track whether or not you have used up your super magical arrow of silence. I can see that. I also don't track spell components. Oh, yes. Right? Like, this spell requires a bit of dirt and um, toenail from a hag and whatever. I'm like... You, do you know how to do the spell? Great, you do the spell. So interestingly, in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, you actually don't need to use spell components if you use the spellcasting focus. The whole idea was that they wanted to replace um, and let you have the option. So you can either carry around a spellcasting component pouch that has all your spellcasting components and then use the specific components of your spells, or you can just carry around a focus, which is you know a crystal or a wand or something like that, and that lets you cast the spell without having the components available, unless the components are cost a significant amount of money, uh, like a diamond worth 50 gold or something like that. Um, however, I do the same thing. I generally ignore spellcasting components, and for the most part, I'm going to ignore your spellcasting focus, too. If you say, I'm a wizard, and I shoot all my spells through laser beams that come out of my eyes, I just think that's cool. Awesome. That That's your spellcasting focus, is do you have your eyes open? <laughs> uh, you are Cyclops from the X-Men, and you are shooting beams of spells at people. Um, that sounds like an awesome and super fun character. But would Cyclops... Instead, be Biclops? Because he has glasses on? Because he has two eyes. Because he has two Bi eyes. Bicycle, well, two. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he had two eyes in the comics, too. Did, did he? <laughs> he did. He just Are had we a, sure? He just had a visor that just looked... Have you seen his eyes? I Yes. <laughs> does he ever take his visor off? Yes, he I've does. seen Gordy's eyes. He wears glasses for, like, a huge portion of the, of the movies and the comics. Nah, I don't remember that. All right, that's fine. Uh, either way... Um, I want to really allow for the opportunity for the role play to happen. And I'm not opposed to the idea that, like, I want to use a wand. And the fact that I am a wizard, I want to go classic wizard style or classic Harry Potter style. And I want to have a wand and I want to cast my spells that way. Awesome. Do that then. Um, but I'm also not going to hold it to any character to say, well, if you don't have your wand on you, you're SOL, man. You're not going to get any spells off now. Um, that just seems unnecessarily restrictive. Well, unless unless it's epic, if it, if it's more intense, if they knock your wand out of your hand, you know, wouldn't that be a like a major thing in a fight? Sure. I guess if I had a player that knew that they were depending on their wand, just like the Cyclops character, and then all of a sudden I put them in a situation where 
they have to be blindfolded. Yeah. Um, and I would hold them to that. I want to allow for the fact that the restrictions you've placed on yourself from a role-playing perspective can play into the character that you are. The knives. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that we talked about earlier. This opportunity, all the stuff that you create in your background, all the stuff that you create in your characterization, those are little opportunities that the Game Master can use to motivate you one way or the other or to make things more challenging if the, the situation were to come up. I like it. Um, did we answer the question? Oh, there was one last other thing. I don't make any of my players keep track of their backpacks. You think about you're an adventurer that's traveling out in the world, and you've got your sword at your side, and you've got your your shield and your heavy armor. You're also carrying a backpack that must be just the size of a small boat because of all the stuff that you have in it. Yeah, and with food and water, too. I just assume you have food and water. Right. And I don't ever ask like, oh, the combat started. Did you take your backpack off and place it on the ground carefully before you dove in and started fighting those gnolls over there? No, I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> I just assume, just like the, uh, the weight uh, aspect to it, that in general, you've got it all and it just exists in some... Every uh, backpack is a, is a uh, bag of holding. Yes. Although, this is a tricky subject. Uh, so yes, every backpack is sort of a bag of holding, except I never define it. Um, right, because never... as soon as you say it's a bag of holding, then players go crazy. Right. Everybody wants to use a bag of holding to solve every problem they've ever had. Uh, I tend not to give out a lot of, bag of bags of holding specifically to my players, because they always want to try to figure out some way to abuse the bag of holding. And then I have to constantly put down some kind of rules around what the bag of holding can and cannot do. Um, like... People sticking prisoners inside of a bag of holding and then having to ask, how much air is in your bag of holding? Uh, is this prisoner going to suffocate while they're in there? Oh my gosh. Or um, people trying to um, breathe underwater by sticking their head into a bag of holding or holding it up to their mouth while they're going underwater. And then once again, like you have to define a bunch of stuff. I'm okay with problem solving creatively with magic items. That may actually be a segment that we end up doing. I could see that. But ultimately... I also want to be careful about all the magic items that I give to my players so that they're not using them as an end-all, be-all to solve every problem they come across. Awesome. Well, Guarmir, I hope that answers your question. And we are going to move on to our final segment, which is Use That Spell. Oh, I like it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba! Use <laughs> That Spell. I kind of wanted it to be like... um like a game show use that spell oh yeah okay um like so this is a segment where i Alyssa, am going to name a spell and we're going to discuss different ways that we can use it um i do not know every spell like adam does i'm assuming you know every spell i do not know every spell adam that knows every spell very difficult <laughs> and uh and i do not so i am just googling um, spells that I find interesting. And if I find a good one, then we're going to talk about it. And this one is called Witch Bolt. All right, I like it. Witch it's a good Bolt. Spell. Witch Bolt. Witch Bolt is a level one spell, uh, casting time of one action, range 30 feet. It has components, and it uh, concentration up to one minute is the duration. And here is the description. A beam of crackling blue energy lances out toward a creature within range, forming a sustained arc of lightning between you and the target. 
make a ranged spell attack against that creature. On a hit, that target takes 1d12 lightning damage, and on each of your turns for the duration, you can use your action to deal 1d12 lightning damage to the target automatically. The spell ends if you use your action to do anything else. The spell also ends if the target is ever outside the spell's range, or if it has a total cover from you. Okay, so Witch Bolt is basically a spell that, like, um, helps you save on spell slots. Um, you get to use your action to cast some, some lightning damage against somebody, and then every action for up to a minute, if your concentration holds out, um, lets you continue to cast that same spell again and again, so long as you keep doing it. Yeah, I could see this. It's kind of like a breath weapon, like a, you know, dragonborn lightning breath weapon. A little more powerful, though, right? Well, it only hits one target. Um, so something to keep in mind is that it's not a not an area attack spell. It just really hits one one creature. But you can change the target each turn if you want to. Okay. Well, I could see this being used as you would in an, in a combat for sure, which is exactly its intention. But I could also see you trying to electrocute water with it. Like you have a pool of water and you have a bunch of enemies in there, or maybe there's some fish you're trying to fish. <laughs> this is the dynamite method of yeah, fishing. Yeah, but a lightning. Yeah. Um, and you, uh, you're like, okay, I'm going to cast Witch Bolt and electrocute this body of water right here. Uh, I would definitely allow for that in my uh, role-playing game experience as Ooh, a game Oh, this master. is good. Should I try to find ways to break it and you tell me if I yeah, can? Yeah, I okay, love great. that. That's, that'd be so great. what if... I want to cast Witch Bolt, and I have a friend who has a very shiny shield, and I want to bounce my Witch Bolt off of the shiny shield and hit a different target. Yeah, I would definitely not allow that. Why not? <laughs> because um, metal conducts electricity, so I would probably make it so that if you hit the shield, you basically just electrocute your friend. <laughs> okay, no, no, no. This is a magic shiny shield. Is Ooh. it a magic lightning reflective shield? <laughs> I, is there lightning reflection? I mean, sure. Why not? Uh, I would allow it if it was a specific shield that reflected magic spells. Okay. All right. That's good. Okay. <laughs> I have a friend who, a player character who is immune to lightning. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they are immune to lightning. I have witch bolt. I want to shoot the lightning at my friend and make this, this bolt of lightning between the two of us. And I'm going to send my friend into the next room through the door, open door. We can see each other and uh, intimidate everybody in there. Oh, yeah, I would totally allow for that. Okay, now... M moreover, if your friend wanted to then also shoot the witch yes, bolts on their yes, turn... Yes, that's exactly what I was yeah, going to say. I would totally they, allow they that, They spread too. their fingers out, and they, like, like you know, like, um, when you um, static yes, electricity... <laughs> yeah, like you shuffle your feet on the yeah, carpet. Yeah, shuffle, and then... <laughs> shuffle, 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 and they just you touch you and somebody. go, zap, shuffle, 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 but it's 1d12 lightning damage. Yeah. Would it still be... 1d12 lightning damage if it had to go through my friend first. I'd probably say yes, although it might depend on the circumstances. The other thing that I might allow something like that to work for is if somebody came up and hit your friend with a sword, what happens then? Do Ooh. they then get get shocked backwards and blown Hell across the yeah. room? Um, which would be a really cool thing. I'd allow that kind of thing if it was a strategy that was being used on a particular room. Um, but I would also keep in mind that all of a sudden I'm opening the door to a, uh, a really dangerous uh, strategy to be used again and again. 
in future rooms and in future battles. Oh, yeah, which boat will solve all of our problems. Right, exactly. And this is actually one of the dangerous parts about anytime you want to yes and a player's idea as a game master. This sounds an amazing idea. Oh, man, it sounds awesome. This amazing scene I can totally picture. You are shooting a witch bolt. Your friend stomps into the room, totally immune to lightning. Everybody takes their swords and tries to hit your friend, and then they all go blasting backwards, all taking 1d12 damage apiece. That sounds incredible. Until they go... Well, we've got five more rooms. Let's just do that five more times. Hell yeah. And now as the game master, I'm going, mm, uh, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Is, is that really what happens five more times in all of these different rooms? And the players yeah. just stomp through the rest of this dungeon, which would be both maybe satisfying for the players on some level, but it wouldn't really present any additional challenge. And it certainly doesn't tell a good story. Um, so in that case, I either need to do one of two things. I either have to make it clear to the players that this is a strategy that worked in this situation, and I might change my mind as a game master. Um, and may, I might say, that worked there, but it doesn't work again for various different reasons. Okay. Or I now need to change the strategy of the people that they are fighting. Um, there's a great scene in a uh, in um, the Sherlock Holmes movie with... Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. um, where he gets a, a rod that charges up with electricity, and then he's fighting a really, really gigantic guy, and he pokes him with the rod, and the guy goes flying across the room and crashes into a bunch of stuff, and it it's clearly very effective. Um, and it works a couple of times. He keeps using this, this rod and charging it up with electricity until the guy finally gets tired of it and just grabs the rod with his fist and takes all the electricity out of the rod and then Ugh. just takes the damage standing there, and now Robert Downey Jr. has nothing, Sherlock Holmes has nothing left to defend himself with um and that is probably the thing that i would do i would change the next room to suddenly be a really big guy and he comes up and he hits you and he gets shocked but he doesn't go flying backwards instead he just sort of goes like and shakes it off and now you are fighting this really big guy who is right next to you see i was gonna say i would if my players were gonna try this trick every room suddenly every room has a big pit the door opens, there's a giant pit, and then the enemies are on the other side. Um, and that might be an okay idea, although you want to be careful that you didn't make the next room clearly designed to change against the problem that they solved. So the pit thing is not necessarily a bad idea because maybe these these uh, enemies were prepared for people to come into the rooms, and so they made pits to, to make it harder to, to go through. Um, but I definitely wouldn't want to put, like, there's a lightning elemental in the next room that gets healed right. by lightning. <laughs> right. Um, to be, like, very clearly, I changed this next room to stop ah. you from using that tactic. Right. <laughs> I broke your new toy. Because there is a veil behind the screen. Because there is this idea that I want to let the players know that they were successful and that their creative idea was was a good idea and that it was something that they could really bring in. Um, and I don't want them to think that I'm trying to head them off at, at the pass of every turn. But I also want to continue to provide challenge for them. I want to continue to have a world that is designed to to uh, push back against them uh, with whatever ideas they have. So your idea can be successful, but it can't be successful every time. Because that's not how life works. I can see that. Well, I think that's a fantastic way to end. Awesome. Um, well, I guess if we're coming to the end of our podcast, then we want to thank everybody for listening um, and let you know that you can uh, find out more about uh, the the Next Session podcast at nextsessionpodcast.com. 
Uh, you can submit us a question or any feedback on the website there. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. Um, and I'm always happy to answer any anything over, over Twitter or Facebook and, and uh, get any suggestions that you may have for the show or field any questions that we may be able to answer on our next episode. I am not so good with the Twitter or the Facebook, um, but I am pretty good at answering emails. So you can also go to nextsessionpodcast.com and when you submit your question there's also a link you can email us too and and i can email so we hope to hear back from you um and thank you for joining us i'm adam johns i'm Alyssa johns uh tune in next time and we will help you prep for the next session thanks guys 